Brown, who was with Tony Baker. This team is so different, really. We've got to look at NC State. we got a flag on the play. It's in the backfield. Ten starters have missed at least a game with an injury. Three have been lost for the season. The hold against the Wolfpack. Tony Brown, Anthony Hill, Javon Walker, all gone. Two of them offensive players. Anthony Hill, one of the, the preseason first team all ACC tight end. Block in the back as Tom O'Brien looks on. Personal file, 69, offense. He was giving them the business. He played it there. Jerry with a quote of the year. <laughs> Boy, would have been a lot of flags back in the day. Man. Oh, giving him the business. Can you look that up in the rule book? Well, <laughs> problem is we can't even give you a verbal interpretation of it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think Ron just did. Oh, man. He said everything about it was wrong. Welcome to the Chatting Yardage Podcast, presented by Sports Drink. Now, here's your host, Cam Matthews. Welcome to your friendly neighborhood college football podcast. Welcome to Chatting Yardage, part of the Chatting Average family, and brought to you by our friends at Sports Drink. Hello, everybody. Welcome once again to the show. I'm your host, Mr. Cam Matthews. You can find me on Twitter at HeyCam93. You can also follow the show at Chatting Yardage. Week 10 is upon us as we move into the upcoming weekend. And boy, you start, you hit hit the double-digit weekend number, and suddenly you realize that, man, this season is is coming to its conclusion within the next few weeks as we enter the month of November we, you know we look towards the big rivalry games at the end of the season we got our first college football playoff rankings for this year which we'll certainly talk about at length uh, during four down territory but you know th- this is the part of the season now where we know who's good we know who's not but we still have a couple of teams hanging around in there that I think, we're still waiting to see just how good they actually are. Um, and with the biggest games always at the end of the season, the upcoming slate is going to determine that. And you have a few teams, too, that you're looking at and you realize, man, they might not even make a bowl this year, uh, given their upcoming schedule. Looking at you, Jimbo. Uh, but anyway, we'll, we'll go ahead and dive into the, the, the meat and potatoes of this week's show. Uh, but before we do get started, want to thank you again for listening to the podcast week in and week out. Our numbers continue to grow with every week, and you know that's really exciting for me for starting something so new this year to you know try and just develop a develop an entertaining product uh, as a college football fan. And, you know, this is a show by a fan, made for a fan. I know that sounds cliche to say, but, you know, I never wanted to come to you and try to be overly analytical or ram stats or odds or predictions down your throat or anything like that. You know, I just, it's such a fascinating sport 
you know, I've always been more of a college football fan than I have ever been an NFL fan. And I feel like college football is just so fascinating with the history and the rivalries and the storylines year in and year out where, you know, every Saturday just means so much you know, especially going into the next Saturday. So I just wanted to thank you for being along the journey on on this podcast. I've enjoyed it so far, and we still have so much more great football coming down the pipeline. I did want to go ahead and give you a heads up at the top of this show that I will not be on the show next week. Uh, with my job, I will actually be be traveling uh, out of state all week next week. So for your Week 11 podcast... We will actually have two guest hosts uh, covering duties on the show, so you'll you'll still have a podcast to listen to on Friday morning, as always, uh, but it just will not be my voice that you'll hear next week. But if you're a fan of the Chatting Average podcast, you'll probably recognize a couple of the voices next week. But that's next week. We'll go ahead and dive into this past week. Uh, week nine review, uh, looking, of course, first back at the pick six games that I selected last week. Pick six, of course, are the six games of the week that I find interesting, and I believe you should too. Starting out TCU with a good win over West Virginia at West Virginia, 41-31 to is your final there. Horn Frogs remain undefeated, and they, you know, they still have a few tough games coming up ahead, and I know a lot of people feel like they have been snubbed. Not the playoff committee, given their their ranking uh, coming into the first week of the CFP rankings. Uh, but, you know, I think, personally, I feel like it's a fair assessment right now uh, just because they, they still have, in terms of strength of schedule, they have not played as tough opponents as those up above them, nor have they been as impressive stat-wise as some teams up above them. But the good thing is, with the first week of the, of the playoff rankings, it's all going to change. None of it is going to, you know, stay the way it is right now, especially with this weekend's games and the games that we know are coming up the last week of the season. So, uh, plenty to be changed there. Horn Frogs just got to keep winning. Uh, Kansas State completely just destroys Oklahoma State, forty-eight to nothing. And I mentioned last week that you know I was putting this game on upset alert because Kansas State is not afraid to to play spoiler in a lot of these games, and boy did they in this one. Oklahoma State's uh, worst loss in the in the Mike Gundy era, uh, just and and one that he took he certainly took uh, took responsibility for. Uh, but boy, you know it seems like every season there's a there's a Mike Gundy game right where they start to get that start to get that momentum going. You start to feel like this is a team that's going to make some noise, and then they lose one that they shouldn't. And Kansas State was probably a team that they could and should have beaten, but boy, losing like this 48 to nothing, it certainly does not help their case in terms of, of Big 12 you know, eligibility or you know, legitimacy in the eyes of the playoff committee. Uh, Coastal Carolina, good win over Marshall, 24 to 13. This is a game that Coastal Carolina jumped out to a 21 to nothing lead. And as I'm sitting there watching, I'm like, okay, well, maybe this isn't as close of a game as as I thought it was going to be. And then Marshall rounded out the first half by scoring 10. So you go into halftime only up 11. You end up winning by 11. And it ended up being a good little back-and-forth game where Marshall, you know, both teams only scored a field goal in the second half. But you felt like maybe Marshall 
was just right there and just couldn't quite get it going against what is a very good uh, Chanticleers team. And uh, we'll be playing Appalachian State on Friday night uh, as you listen to this podcast on Friday morning. So a good game to keep your eye on there. I didn't include it in this upcoming week's pick six games, uh, but it is a good game nonetheless to keep your eye on in terms of, uh, you know, in terms of how the Sun Belt is going to shake out this season. Uh, Ole Miss gets back to their winning ways against Texas A&M. 31-28 is your final score there. A&M now, you know, with a big losing record, trying to just find their footing, and things just continue to go downhill for the Aggies. Ole Miss, just a, a, a good bounce back win after their loss to LSU. Uh, you know, they're still highly ranked, only one loss on the season under Lane Kiffin, and you know, still so much speculation about is Lane Kiffin back with Ole Miss next season with all of the coaching opportunities now open, uh, one specifically uh, not too far over in the conference. Uh, but, you know, he's gotten Ole Miss to a really good spot right now. But you have to wonder, you know, is Ole Miss a program that you can turn into a championship contender? Like, you know, we, we talk about teams every year that, that make their way into the top ten and that have really good seasons, you know, good and – 10 and 2, 11 and 1 type seasons, but you know, how legitimate are they to win a national championship? And it takes so much time to build those up. And it feels like we have so many teams now that have just cemented themselves into the upper echelon of, you know, championship contending teams. And can Ole Miss be that? I don't know. Auburn can be that. We know that, but. That, that's another story for another day. Uh, Baylor, good win over Texas Tech, 45-17. to 17. I expected Texas Tech to do a little bit more in this one. I'm just going to quit predicting Big 12 games as being high-scoring back-and-forth contests because it seems like every time I do that, one team scores a lot and the other team doesn't. Uh, but Baylor, a, a good win over Texas Tech, uh, taking care of the Red Raiders pretty handedly. And then uh, our final pick-six game for last week, uh, North Carolina takes down Pitt in Chapel Hill. 42-24 to is your final there. Uh, Pitt, of course, was up at halftime, uh, extended their lead early in the third quarter by 10, and then from there, Carolina's defense shut out the Panthers the rest of the way. Uh, Drake May just had another phenomenal game, and boy, he's putting up some just tremendous stats this season that, you know, unless you're just paying close attention, you probably didn't realize just how good he is he's being this year. So another good win for the Tar Heels. That's their seventh win on the season. They are seven and one with four games to go, and they're just they're an interesting story. Now, of course, they did just lose a couple of defensive starters. After the pit game, they've lost them for the season with um, with Noah Taylor and Dez Evans both being out this year, two of their highest producing defensive players uh, this year. So that's a big blow to what was already a a lackluster defense, uh, so to speak. But when you've got an offense that can just go put 40, 50 points on the board at will, seemingly, I, you know, it, it they're they're an interesting case. They they truly are, and I, and I don't say that just because I am a Carolina fan. I, I'm I'm not trying to like humble brag about you know about my team but what I am saying is that they have one of the best offenses in the country but they also have one of the lower tier defenses in the country and yet here they are with a seven and one record and sure they you know they haven't played the toughest competition they don't have a great strength of schedule which is you know more than likely why when it comes down to it uh, you know, Drake May's really not going to have much Heisman consideration, although he is in the conversations, of course, you know, especially when you look at his stats. Uh, but, you know, with five games or with four games remaining, rather, uh, against uh, 
uh, Virginia, Wake Forest, Georgia Tech, and NC State. You know, you got to think, even if you split those four games, you know, there's two games that obviously you're favored in and then two games you probably aren't necessarily favored in. Uh, you know, I think Wake Forest could be a, a close uh, close game in terms of odds as we move into that one next week. Uh, and then, of course, in NC State, probably still going to be favored just on the back of their defense uh, going into the final week of the year. But, you know, you look at that and you say, as a Carolina fan, well, if you split the final four and you finish this season nine and three with, you know, nine and three still gets you into the ACC championship game, that that's, you know, a nine-win season, especially I think after the first couple of weeks, I think a lot of us would take. But that's enough. This is not a Carolina podcast. I don't want to uh, don't want to make anybody mad with all the Tar Heel talk on this one. Uh, we'll go ahead and jump into the rest of the scoreboard from week nine over to the SEC. Georgia takes down Florida 42-20. to uh, Just a pretty, pretty easy win for Georgia. It was never really close. Uh, Georgia a little slow to begin with, but then eventually just pulled away in this one. I don't think anybody really had any doubts as Florida's season. Still doesn't quite pan out as well as I think a lot of people thought it was going to, but that's what happens when you put a team in the top 15 after week one. Uh, Tennessee just completely obliterates Kentucky 44 to 6. Boy, oh boy, the Volunteers just continue to roll. Uh, The big surprise to many, including myself, just how good they are this year. Still a couple of games coming up, uh, especially that big one this coming Saturday, which we'll talk about more. But, boy, the, that, that big orange keeps just keeps on rolling uh, there in Knoxville. Uh, Missouri takes down South Carolina 23-10. to Bit of a surprise on that one. But Missouri, you know, when you look at it, they're, they're putting together a, you know, a pretty solid season this year, taking down what was a ranked South Carolina team last week. And then Arkansas uh, finds another win against Auburn, 41-27 is your final there. And, of course, some big news coming out of Auburn University after that loss. Uh, Moving over to the ACC now, NC State on Thursday night with a close one over Virginia Tech, a game that, that Tech actually led in quite a bit of this game until the Wolfpack offense found its footing in the fourth quarter. Somehow, NC State jumps up three spots in the rankings after a win like that, but uh, that, that's not for me to decide. But again, uh, the Wolfpack offense continues to struggle, especially after missing Devin Leary. And yeah, there's a lot of speculation around Devin Leary now, especially this week, as to whether you know him being out for the season, does he, does he get healthy and go to the draft now? Or uh, with one year of eligibility left, does he come back to NC State next season? Or does he transfer to more of a contender? You know, I still think a lot of folks... Uh, believe that there there's a, some good amount of talent behind him. He didn't necessarily have the pieces this season at stake to show that. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see what kind of decision he ends up going with. Uh, big surprise out of the ACC last Saturday. Louisville takes down Wake Forest 48-21. to This was a game that Louisville scored 35 points in the third quarter off of six. That is six Wake Forest turnovers across a 15-minute stretch. Uh, just a bit of a shocking turn of events. One of those just one of those surprising games that, you know, just got so bizarre that, you know, I think it took a lot of, a lot of people by surprise. So uh, a real tough loss for the Demon Deacons who were putting together what was a very solid season, only one loss on the year, and that was to Clemson to this point. And then dropping one to Louisville in that manner uh, just does not help uh, help their – there's 
their case for being, you know, highly considered as a threat in the ACC, at least for this season. I think that that doesn't necessarily shut them out of an ACC championship game at this point, but boy, they need a lot of weird things to happen uh, to down the stretch. But they have a good one this coming Saturday that can have a good bounce back win in. Uh, Syracuse loses its second in a row against Notre Dame in the Carrier Dome. 41 to 24 is your final there uh, as the Irish come out with another win and remain undefeated against ACC teams this season. We'll see if that continues this coming Saturday. Boston College falls to UConn. 13 to 3 is your final score there. Boston College continues to just have what is a downright awful season. This year, whereas UConn now sits on a five and I believe believe five and four record or four and five, something along those lines. And, you know, UConn has not had a winning season in football since 2010. And suddenly they're two wins away from potentially knocking on a door. And this is a big step for the Huskies, considering the fact that over the past two seasons they've mustered one win. So, uh, yeah, to suddenly be sitting on five wins, four or five wins now, good job for them. Uh, Georgia Tech falls to Florida State 41-16. Florida State continues to just be an interesting team this year. Some good, solid wins. You know, you think back to week one, taking down LSU, and then some really bad wins this season, or really bad losses, rather. Uh, you know, win is a win, but losses can be bad. So they're, they're an interesting team to just kind of keep an eye on and see how they end up record-wise at the end of the season. And then Virginia falls to Miami, 14-12, to four overtimes in this one. God bless you if you watch this game because this was just an absolutely brutal contest between two teams who are absolutely struggling this season, especially on offense. Over to the Big Ten now. Ohio State takes down Penn State 44-31, a game that I kind of regret not putting in the pick six last week. Uh, I didn't put it in there initially because I truly thought this was going to be a blowout win for the Buckeyes. But Penn State, boy, they made it a game, and they gave James Franklin's squad gave it all they had in this one. The final score is kind of an outlier. It doesn't necessarily show how close of a game this was because uh, you know a lot of Ohio State's points were very were scored very late off a couple of key turnovers. But that's what good teams do, right? They find a way to claw back into wins and you know find a way to win. But once again, James Franklin just can't quite figure out a way to win the big one for the Nittany Lions. So, a uh, tough loss there for that program. Michigan handles Michigan State pretty easily. 29-7 to is your final. Of course, the big story coming out of this is the... the uh, assault, for lack of a better term, uh, within the tunnel after the game. Michigan State players uh, pouncing on a lone Michigan player. Uh, Michigan State has since suspended eight players in total. The initial suspension was only four, but they doubled that just yesterday to eight players as an investigation continues to to move on. Uh, I'm sure we'll talk about that sometime in the near future once everything has been uh, has been researched and you know kind of told about what exactly happened in that scenario. I didn't want to report on that this week simply because there's still so many details we're still waiting to hear from. Illinois takes down Nebraska 26 to nine. Illinois now with suddenly a, a firm grasp on the Big Ten West. Uh, a, a sneaky good team is Illinois, and you know they are certainly working their way towards finding themselves in the Big Ten championship game come the first week of December. Minnesota uh, handles Rutgers 31 to nothing is your final there. And then Iowa takes down Northwestern 33 to 13. Gosh, it feels like that might be Iowa's highest scoring game of the season. 
Only other Big 12 score to report on is Oklahoma takes down Iowa State. 27-13 to 13 is your final. And over to the Pac-12 now, Utah with a good win over Washington State, 21-17. The Utes continue on winning as they climb in the Pac-12 standings. Oregon handles Cal, 42-24. Again, the Ducks keep winning. Interesting story there to keep an eye on. Uh, USC uh, takes down Arizona in what was, feels like a close one, 45-37. UCLA at home uh, bounces back and handles Stanford pretty easily, 38-13. to And then Arizona State defeats Colorado, 42-34. to We'll look at the AP Top 25, but this will be the last week that we actually talk about the AP polls simply because now that the playoff committee is releasing is going to be releasing their weekly standings uh the those will be the the rankings that matter but finishing out what is going to be the last week we report the ap top 25 uh new to the top 25 this week is ucf at 25 oregon state 24 liberty 23 bouncing out of the top 25 this week kentucky cincinnati and south carolina boy kentucky uh, what was gonna, what was considered to be a, a solid season or with high expectations has suddenly fallen off as the Wildcats are no longer ranked. Biggest drop within the AP, Oklahoma State drops nine spots all the way down to 18. Wake Forest drops 10 spots to 20. And Syracuse drops six spots to 22. Your biggest climbers this week, Kansas State jumps up nine uh, spots all the way to number 13. Carolina goes from 21 to 17, and Tulane remains within the top 25, jumping four spots from 23 to 19. And your top four for the AP this week were Georgia, Tennessee, Ohio State, and Michigan. Uh, we'll go ahead and jump in now to the first segment of the show. As always, this is four down territory. I know you want to hear about the college football playoff. We're going to jump into it right now. First down. Undefeated Tennessee earned the number one spot in the college football playoffs initial top 25 ranking on Tuesday night, marking the first time in the program's history it cracked the top four, followed by number two Ohio State, number three Georgia, and number four Clemson. The 13-member committee ranked undefeated Michigan number five and one loss Alabama number six ahead of undefeated number seven TCU. Alabama had been ranked in the top three of the initial rankings in each of the past six years. It has never been lower than the number six in the committee's first ranking, as it earned the same spot in 2014. Tennessee, which is averaging 49 points per game and leads the FBS in total offense, became the seventh different program to earn the top spot at any point in the playoff era. The Volunteers entered Tuesday's initial ranking number one in ESPN's strength of record metric with the best win in the country so far this season against number six, Alabama. When you look at the top three teams, the two wins with, Ala- the two wins with Alabama and at LSU really sealed the, de- the deal for Tennessee. College Football Playoff Committee Chairman Boo Kerrigan, the athletic director at NC State, told ESPN. When asked about the difference between Ohio State and Georgia for the number two slot, Corrigan said that many of the primary factors the committee looked at was, quote, the explosive nature of the offense at Ohio State. Seven of the past eight teams that were ranked number one in the committee's first ranking have gone on to reach the college football playoff. The only exception was Mississippi State in 2014, the first season of the college football playoff. At number eight, one loss, Oregon was the Pac-12's highest-ranked team. Of course, Tennessee and Georgia will face each other Saturday in a game that will have a drastic impact on the committee's second ranking 
and Ohio State and Michigan will ultimately face each other in their regular season rivalry game. All told, the, the first release features five teams from the SEC, ACC, and Pac-12, four from each the Big Ten and Big 12, and two from the American. Corrigan went on to say, We really don't look at conferences, we're looking at individual teams. At the end of the day, we're trying to pick the best teams and slot them the right way. So now with the college football playoff rankings coming out each and every single week, and with many games still yet to be played, there's still bound to be plenty of shakeup when it comes time for the playoff in January. Second down. After less than two turbulent seasons, Auburn fired head coach Brian Harson on Monday. The decision came just before the school named a new athletic director in John Cohen, the former Mississippi State AD. Harson's firing also came less than 48 hours after the Tigers lost to Arkansas at home by two touchdowns. The team dropped to 3-5 and five and is in danger of missing out on a bowl game for the first time since 2012. Running backs coach Carnell Williams will serve as Auburn's interim coach, the school later announced. He's in his fourth season at his alma mater, where he, has, where he was an All-American selection at running back and set team records for carries, rushing touchdowns. Williams was selected at number five overall by Tampa Bay in the 2005 NFL Draft and played seven NFL seasons, rushing for over 4,000 yards and 21 touchdowns. Harson's tenure at Auburn ends with a 9-12 record. Per terms of his contract, Harson will be owed $15.5 million in buyout money with 50% due within 30 days of the, and the remaining half in four installments. Two years ago, the school decided to pay $21.7 million to buy out and fire Gus Malzahn, who had gone 68-34 and 34 in eight seasons. Auburn was coming off of a 6-7 and seven season when Harson's status was thrown into limbo this February after the university launched an investigation into his handling of the program. The inquiry came after a number of players and coaches left during the offseason. Auburn ultimately cleared Harson, who later called it a personal attack that didn't work. Like any coach with the benefit of hindsight, there are things that could have been done differently, said Harson. I don't pretend to be perfect, but I am certain I will be better moving forward because of this experience. I truly believe Auburn has the potential to be a championship program once again, Harson went on to say. The resources, financial support, and fan base are in place. There are good people throughout the program and university. With complete alignment, the possibilities are endless, end quote. Auburn opened this season with two straight wins over Mercer and San Jose State but has gone 1-5 and five since. Harson, age 45, came to Auburn on a six-year, $31.5 million deal after seven seasons at head coach at Boise State. His record as a head coach, including one season at Arkansas State, is 85-36. and 36. But the thing about the Auburn job is that it's not just the administration that you deal with as a head coach. It's also the boosters, and maybe more so at Auburn, than any other program in the country. Third down. There's a new betting favorite to win this year's Heisman Trophy. Tennessee quarterback Hendon Hooker threw for at least three touchdown passes in his third straight game as his performance in the Vols' 44-6 win over Kentucky gave him a slight edge over Ohio State quarterback C.J. Stroud in the race. Still, Stroud is no slouch. Though he was overshadowed by the Buckeyes' defensive performance and running backs, who combined for three rushing scores and a victory over Penn State, 
Stroud maintained his FBS lead in touchdown passes and did not turn the ball over. It's a 1-2 race heading into the final month of the season. Caleb Williams of USC, Bryce Young of Alabama, Drake May of North Carolina, and Blake Corum of Michigan are still in the pack, albeit at a distance. We've seen how quickly things can change, though. So here is this week's Heisman standings, the top moments of the week for each, each player, and what to watch for this weekend. As mentioned, coming in at number one is Hendon Hooker, the quarterback for Tennessee. Hooker turned heads once again in Tennessee's 44-6 route over Kentucky. He threw for 245 yards and three touchdowns to lift the Volunteers to an 8-0 start for the first time since 1998 and their first number two ranking since 2001. His biggest test of the season comes this Saturday, though, when Hooker will meet a Georgia team that ranks number four in total defense. Number two in the Heisman standings is C.J. Stroud, quarterback for Ohio State. Stroud continued illustrating his Big Ten dominance on Saturday, lifting Ohio State to a 44-31 win over Penn State. He threw for 354 yards and tacked on just one touchdown against the Buckeyes' toughest in-conference opponent yet. Down 21-16 with 9.26 left in the fourth quarter, Stroud stepped up in a big way going 6-for-8 and throwing for 128 yards in the fourth quarter alone. Stroud and Ohio State will look to remain perfect on the season as they return on the road to face Northwestern this weekend. Number three in the rankings, Bryce Young, quarterback for Alabama. Young and Alabama had a bye in Week 9 following their 30-6 win over Mississippi State. The 2021 Heisman winner currently has 1,906 yards and 18 touchdowns on the season. In Week 5, Young went out with a shoulder injury but returned in Week 7 in Alabama's 52-49 loss to Tennessee, where he threw for 455 yards. At number 4, you have Caleb Williams, quarterback for the University of Southern California. After suffering their first loss of the season in Week 7 to then number 20 Utah, Williams and the Trojans proved they used their bye week wisely against Arizona last Saturday. Williams threw for a career-high 411 yards and five touchdowns in the 45-37 victory in Tucson. He now stands third in the nation in touchdowns and is tied for second in interceptions with just one. And then two quarterbacks tied for fifth, first being Drake May, quarterback for North Carolina. May has continued to impress throughout his redshirt freshman campaign, and last Saturday was no different. May helped lead the then-number 21 Tar Heels past Pitt, 42-24, with a show-stopping performance through the air, throwing for 388 yards and five touchdowns. With 29 touchdowns on the season, May is tied with Stroud for the most touchdowns in the nation. He is also fourth in the nation with 2,671 yards. And I may have misspoke because your other player tied for fifth is actually a running back, Blake Corum from Michigan. In Michigan's 29-7 victory over Michigan State, Corum proved why he is one of the best running backs in college football. He was named Big Ten Offensive Player of the Week after rushing for a career-high 33 carries for 177 yards and one touchdown. Corum stands fourth in the nation with 1,078 yards and second with 14 touchdowns on the season. Fourth down. Andrea Martinez didn't quite realize what she was getting herself into, when she tried out to kick extra points for a Mexican college football team. She thought maybe it was a position on a women's team, or at least there would be other women on the roster. But when she won the spot, Martinez was told she would become the first woman to ever play college football among men in the country's top amateur division. 
Martinez, a law student at the National Autonomous University of Mexico, had played soccer since she was 12 years old. She tried out to play professionally, but didn't quite make the cut. She continued playing soccer at her school until a few months ago, when the UNAM football team decided to hold tryouts for a place kicker. Martinez said, The decision I made was to try a new sport. Nothing else, just to venture out and see what it was all about. I was very happy when I heard the news that I had been the girl selected. Martinez, age 21, said before playing football, she rarely watched NFL games, but it helped that her brother was a fan of the sport. She is among many Mexicans trading soccer, or football, for American football, as the American sport continues to gain interest in the country. According to the NFL office in Mexico, the sport has some 48 million fans across the country. Martinez went on to say, Coexistence is the same as with girls. But the way we live together, the way we talk to each other, the way we support each other, the jokes we make, it's the same. I get along very well, and I have gotten to know them not only in the gym, but here on the field as well. There are 67 more siblings that I have so far. Since joining the team, Martinez has given around 80 interviews. Her face has appeared in main newspapers of the country and has been occupied on spaces in national television that Mexican college football players rarely get. Although it was not quite her goal, Martinez has become a symbol of women empowerment in a country considered lagging in inclusion issues. It is no surprise that before and after games, many girls ask for a photo by her side. Martinez said, There are little girls and boys who come and ask me for a photo or come up and say very nice words to me. It's the most gratifying thing I've ever felt, being able to realize that perhaps I'm inspiring them just a little. Perhaps also inadvertently, Martinez's story is helping bring more football fans to Mexico. Recently, in an interview with local media, Al Guido, the president of the San Francisco 49ers, said that coming to play a regular season game next November in Mexico is part of a broader strategy to win over fans in the country. Guido said, pertaining to soccer, we don't want them to leave their sport behind. We just want them to also throw in ours and have our logo on their chest. Hey everybody, this is Alex Butler here with this week's Mascot Minute, where we take a deep dive into some of your favorite collegiate mascots. This week, we're featuring the Boilermakers and Purdue Pete of Purdue University. Purdue Pete can trace his heritage back to 1940, when university bookstore owners Doc Eppel and Red Sammons hired artist Art Evans to create Pete an advertising logo. However, Pete didn't get his name until four years later. In 1944, the Purdue yearbook, Debris, wanted to use Pete on the cover. The editors went to Apple and asked for Pete's name. According to one account, Apple, out of the blue, said, Pete. So the famous Boilermaker was named, and in the 1944 issue of Debris, Purdue Pete was everywhere. Pete wouldn't assume a human form for another four years after that. The 1948 Debris Yearbook hosts the first photograph of Purdue Pete. In 1956, athletic director Guy Red Mackey gave the go-ahead to create a sports mascot to inspire fans at home football games. Larry Brumbaugh was selected to be the first Pete by the Pep Committee. Brumbaugh was then faced with the task of finding a costume for Pete. I tried to contact some costume companies, but I didn't even really know what I was looking for, said Brumbaugh. Finally, a woman in my hometown who was artistic with paper mache made it. The woman was Mrs. John Keltner of Union City, Indiana. 
The early costume included a uniform donated by the athletic department and a mallet with a head made out of paper mache backed by chicken wire. It didn't fit very well, Brumbaugh said, so you just kind of followed along with the cheerleaders, but you didn't do much moving around. After Brumbaugh graduated, John Note took over the job as Pete. He recalls Pete in a similar fashion. You just kind of went out there freelancing. Over the years, Purdue Pete has undergone many changes. Pete has endured theft, disrepair, and changing styles. Pete evolved from a smallish paper mache version to a huge fiberglass version that was more harness than head. And finally, to a smaller version made of fiberglass as well. Pete's demeanor has changed from the contented grin created for Larry Brumbaugh to a version with a mouth that doubled as eye holes to an angry and furrowed Pete and back to the Pete he is today. Are there any mascots that you'd like us to feature on the show? Hit us up at Chatting Yardage on Twitter and let us know. Once again, this has been Alex Butler with your Mascot Minute. It is now time for the Chatting Yardage Pick 6 Games of the Week. Six games that I find interesting, and I believe you should too. So coming up this week for Week 10, we have a Friday night game, one that you should keep your eye on, uh, 10.30 p.m. on ESPN2, number 23, Oregon State versus Washington. Washington not ranked anymore. They've had a couple of tough losses this year. Oregon State just now getting into the rankings. Good Pac-12 rivalry in this one. Two teams that are just trying to, you know, kind of keep their name in in the mouths of Pac-12 uh, faithful in terms of a team that you don't necessarily want to see come up on your schedule. What's interesting about this game, though, is the weather forecast. They are calling for heavy rain and winds and a high of about 45 degrees come game time. So this is going to be a late-night, sloppy, miserable outdoor game that will be fun to watch from the comfort of your own living room if you have nothing else to do on Friday night. Moving on to Saturday now. Saturday, 3.30 p.m. on CBS. Number one, Tennessee takes on number three, Georgia at Georgia. This is the game of the week, plain and simple. I think this is the game that everybody has their eyes on. This is the game that everybody is going to be talking about because it just it feels like it determines so much. Does a loss for either team mean they're out of the ranking uh, for the playoff? No. But it more than likely determines who goes to the SEC championship game for the East. It also is probably going to determine who is number one come week two of the CFP rankings. There's just so much going on in, into this game that it, you can't help but feel excited for it. Whether you're a Tennessee fan, a Georgia fan, or just a fan of college football, this is the game that you are going to be paying attention to. And of course, I could not pass up talking about it. Apparently, there are also sky-high tickets uh, for for this game. You know, beating a tent. You know, beating ticket. Uh, pricing records left and right so uh, this is a hot commodity and one that we'll all be watching then we move on into Saturday night 7 p.m. on FS1 number 24 Kansas or number 40 number 24 Texas takes on number 13 Kansas State 20 or Texas now back into the rankings uh, trying to get what would be a good win over Kansas State and we talked about it Kansas State is one of those sneaky good teams that is not afraid to just dash your hopes and dreams on a season and so a loss for the Longhorns here would just be extremely detrimental and could likely kick them out of the rankings for the remainder of the season Uh, so a good one there Saturday night 7 p.m. on FS1. Number six, Alabama takes on number 10, LSU in Baton Rouge. 7 p.m. kickoff on ESPN. Finally get a 
what feels like a big nighttime game at LSU this year, uh, taking on Alabama. Uh, an Alabama loss here would be would just be unspeakably detrimental for the Crimson Tide. You know, we talk about Bama's not necessarily out of the running yet for an appearance in the playoff, right? Like, you know, a win here could just about seal their, you know, seal them being in the SEC championship game uh, representing the West. And then, of course, they would have to win the SEC championship game, whether it be against Tennessee or Georgia. But a loss here quintessentially takes them out of that running. And what a win that would be for Brian Kelly and this LSU team, you know, trying to trying to kind of firm up their identity within this season. You, know, you make the top 10, who would have thought after that loss to Florida State in week one, but a good game that you should be able to flip over to once Tennessee and Georgia has concluded. Uh, now over to some ACC action, kind of, sort of, against uh, with one ACC team against a kind of, sort of, ACC team. 7.30 kickoff on NBC, number four Clemson travels to South Bend to take on the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. As we mentioned, Notre Dame is undefeated against ACC teams this year. And this feels like what is going to be Clemson's last kind of hurdle in this season, barring anything crazy happening uh, in their last game of the year against South Carolina. But a loss here for the Tigers, you have to believe, would just about take them out of playoff consideration, period, even if they do win out, even if they do win the ACC championship. Uh, Because I think of the top four teams in the rankings right now, especially with five, six, and seven just behind them in the rankings, you have to believe that they are they are low on the totem pole. They are on thin ice when it comes to being in the eyes of the committee. So this, you know, this is a win that Clemson's got to have on Saturday night. And then for for Notre Dame, this would just be this would be a great resume building win. You know, for Marcus Freeman, this could be their statement win this season if you were able to take down a top four team at home and you know Notre Dame at home at night that that's a tough tough building to go into and come out with a victory Uh, so a good one to keep your eyes on there we'll stay in the ACC for your sixth game of the week Saturday night 8 p.m. start on ACC Network number 21 Wake Forest travels to Raleigh to take on number 22 NC State a game that you know, I hate to keep using the phrase that both teams desperately need to win, but it is absolutely true for both of these teams to even keep themselves in consideration for, you know, for a New Year's Six Bowl. Uh, you know, and as we talked about, a lot of weird things would have to happen for them to make the ACC championship game at this point, but stranger things have happened in college football. So this is a game that, you know, I think Wake Forest kind of has a winning streak going right now against the Wolfpack. The Wolfpack missing several key players, but you know a lot of questions around the Demon Deacons after their performance last week against Louisville. Uh, but you know uh, you it's a weird game that you could almost see one team blowing the other one out and you could see it being extremely close uh, with really no in between. Like I don't think this is going to be a solid 10 point win for somebody. you know somebody's either going to win by you know 21 points or somebody's going to win by a field goal. Who knows with this one? Uh, but it's going to be an entertaining one at that. Again, that's an 8 p.m. kickoff on ACC Network. So, uh, remind you, be part of the conversation on our Twitter account, at Chatting Yards. Come let me know what you're going to be watching this weekend. Keep me posted on scores that you're seeing, storylines that you're seeing. Uh, you know, this, this uh, podcast is for you, the fans. So, we love to have you part of the conversation again, at Chatting Yardage. The Extra Point. 
The extra point this week goes to Kansas State. Now, as we mentioned, Kansas State is not afraid to play spoiler from dominating Oklahoma and Oklahoma State this season to giving undefeated TCU a scare. They are having a sneaky good year and find themselves within the top 15. So playing us out this week is the Kansas State University Marching Band with Wildcat Victory. Until next week, I'm Cam Matthews. This has been the Chatting Yardage Podcast, brought to you by SportsGrant. Want to be part of the conversation? Follow the show on Twitter, at Chatting Yardage. We'll see you next week for another brand new episode.